No. There we go. I can talk louder, believe me. And I want you to understand, uh, I'm going to work at this this morning, I hope. And I hope you get something out of it. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the phrase, a silly goose, or you're nothing but a silly goose. Well, I'd like to start out with, do you have as much sense as a goose? This spring, when you see geese heading back north for the summer, flying along in a V formation, you might be interested in knowing what scientists have discovered about why they fly that way. It has been learned that as each bird flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the bird immediately following. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds at least 71% greater, greater flying range than if each bird flew on its own. Basic truth number one. People who share a common direction and sense of community can get where they are going quicker and easier because they are traveling on the trust of one another. Whenever a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of trying to go it alone and quickly gets back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front. Basic truth number two. If we have as much sense as a goose, we will stay in formation with those who are headed in the same way we are going. When the lead goose gets tired, he rotates back in the wing and another goose flies point. Basic truth number three. It pays to take turns doing hard jobs with people as with geese flying north. The geese honk from behind to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. Basic truth number four. We need to be careful about what we say when we honk from behind. Finally, when a goose gets sick or is wounded by a gunshot and falls out, two geese fall out of formation and follow him down to help and protect him. They stay with him until he is either able to fly or until he is dead, and then they launch out on their own or with another formation to catch up with their group. The final truth, if we have the sense of a goose, we will stand by each other like that. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, anoint my lips to speak only the words you would have spoken. Father, open their ears and their hearts to hear what you would have them hear. May your word come alive in each and every one of their lives this day and every day, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, it's January 6th. No, it's the 7th today, but January 6th, I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but actually it's the start of Epiphany. And the Christian calendar marks the observ observance 
of various feasts and celebrations throughout the year. And January 6th, the day on which the Christian church celebrates Epiphany. The season of Epiphany then extends until the day before Ash Wednesday. And if you are as up to date on what the English language has to say as I am, you kind of like to know what Epiphany means. Epiphany means manifestation or appearance. It is time in which the church focuses on the divine presence as manifested in Jesus Christ in New Testament times and the implication of that manifestation for today. The season is an occasion to contemplate the unfolding of the revelation of God's presence on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. It is a time to watch and wait as the mystery and glory of the presence of God in our midst is unveiled. What will it look like for God to walk among us? How will Jesus manifest God to the watching world? Now, I would like to just pose one thing to you. It is also historical or accepted that the first day of Epiphany, that manifestation of Christ, was celebrated by the Magi coming to visit. Now, I'm not the sharpest tack you'll ever find in a box, but I want you to figure this out. They came from the east. They were not Jews. So the first people that's recorded in the Bible to worship Jesus, bring him those gifts, were Gentiles. Just something for a little thought. I like this being down here. First of all, you're aware that I'm no better than you are. And I guarantee you I'm a bigger sinner. But what I do enjoy also is the freedom to walk around a little bit more. I need for Wayne to get used to looking at one thing. <laughs> I chose for a passage of scripture to work with today, Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to start with verse 14. Now, so you know, this is just when Jesus has come out of the temptation by Satan in the desert. Luke 4:14 starts, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. The primary, I guess, message is going to be from the next series in these verses. But I wanted you to understand Jesus Christ was in the power of the Spirit. I don't know how many of you were able to be here at the uh, Christmas Eve service. I don't know how many of you are aware of what God did when he sent Jesus Christ here in this world. But I would like for you to put yourself in the position where you you 
had a choice to either stay in heaven or come down and save people like me. I can't begin to grasp how much love he had for each and every one of us to leave heaven where he's all-powerful, almighty, all-seeing, and come down and be like you and I. Ladies and gentlemen, that's love. That's love. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. I couldn't help but highlight in my Bible, as was his custom. That means every week he went to synagogue. It was pretty important to Jesus. I think it ought to be important to us to come to church. Why do we find so many reasons not to come? Anyway, better keep moving. Denise told me to watch the clock. Because when I was talking with her, I said, I have no idea how long this will take. And she knows me well enough to know that I can talk for a while. <laughs> I had the opportunity to do a, fu a funeral for a, a friend of mine for many years. Oh, a month ago, I don't know just when it was. Anyway, <laughs> the undertaker was very concerned about how it was to be a military funeral. They had to fold the flag, and the, the military people were not able to be there right at the time. And she said, do you have, have anything you can fill in the time there? I looked at her, and I said, well, first of all, and foremost, I said, you've got to have faith. It will all work out. But I said, second of all, no, that's not a problem. I can find something to talk about. But probably four or five times in the course of 40 minutes, I said to her, you've got to have faith. We got there with the hearse. She's trying to get everything organized underneath the tent. All the people are walking in. The military people show up. I didn't have much to do. And there wasn't much for the, the military service. And she looked at me afterwards and she said, how do you know? And I looked at her and I said, what have I told you all the way through? You've got to have faith. I'll get into that later. Anyway. And the book of the prophet, I, oh, excuse me. And he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So you know, the synagogues at that time were established because the temple had been destroyed. And anywhere there were ten Jewish families, they could establish a synagogue. But anytime there was a guest rabbi there, they would let them 
read the scripture. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, this passage in Isaiah, we know to be a messianic passage, talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus Christ, because they still were under Babylon, Babylonian uh, captivity. They were still oppressed. But I was curious, because these are the words from Isaiah 61, and you can read the entire chapter, and it's very enlightening. Because it talks about what's going to happen. But why did Jesus stop there? Why did he stop at the point where he stopped? I think I could quit moving so fast, my pages are turning. Because if he went any further, well, let me read the next verse. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fi fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If he went any further, he could not have made that claim. Because what happens in the rest of 61 of Isaiah, after the first line of verse 2, is all with Jesus' second coming. This was Jesus' first coming. He's critiquing me. <laughs> and that's why Jesus stopped at that point. Now, can you imagine coming to your hometown getting the opportunity to talk like I am this morning and to get done reading that scripture and say, today, today, that scripture's been fulfilled in your hearing. I have a feeling it might have set a few hackles up on people. I think they might have wondered, I'm going to have a hard time with that. I think they might have wondered, why? Why would this man make that claim? We know him. We watched him grow up. It's Joseph's son. Well, better keep reading. I'll get ahead of myself. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which are falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is not this Joseph's son? And here in the next verse, we see that Jesus knows what's in people's hearts. 
And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum. Do here in our hometown as well. Do a miracle for us. Let us see so we can believe. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogues were filled with rage. Why were they filled with rage? Because Jesus pointed out to them it wasn't to the Jews that they were sent because they were refuted. They were not respected by any where they went. Ah, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Hmm. Is that a miracle? I guess you have to decide that. But can you imagine? People are so upset with somebody making some outrageous claim that they want to kill him. They lead him to the top of the hill. They're going to throw him over the cliff. And he passes through them. Sounds pretty miraculous to me. As I studied that passage, or read it, maybe I should say, I don't know if study is a proper word for me. Three questions came to my mind. <laughs> Why do we reject Jesus? And I'll start with that one. I do have two others, time allowing. <clears throat> Why do we reject Jesus? Well, he was just a man. He was Joseph's son. There's no miracles today. I challenge you to look around. Look around. You can't trust him. It's not my way. I don't need anyone. I've, he's failed to do what I wanted. He doesn't make sense. He can't love me. I want to do my own thing. I can't see him. I can't touch him. I have something better. He never answered me. It can't be that easy or you feel abandoned. 
You know, frequently, frequently, all those things have passed through people's minds. And I've often tried to think, why? Why do we let those things cross our mind? I kid, and several of you have heard me say it before, I have tried to make the Holy Trinity a quartet different times, but God doesn't want a counselor. I've tried. God's answered every prayer that's been made, just not the way we expect it to be. We want him, well, I'll get into that in a minute. I want to read you something that I think applies to this because I, I tried to boil it all down to why we want to reject Christ. And I think it all boils down to our pride. C.S. Lewis wrote, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. This vice leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. The vice is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on by the devil. It is a terrible thing that the worst of all the vices can smuggle itself into the very center of our religious life. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. It does that, folks. And each one of you can relate to different words that I just read to you. Well, I told you I had three questions. Better keep going. Yeah, I better keep going. Yeah, we don't need that. The second question that came to my mind after I'd had, what do you, why do people reject Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? What do you want? Most of you, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I can't say most. These are ideas that I came up with. You know, I can't say that I have a top ten because I come up with more than ten on any of them. But you want a magic genie. You want somebody that provides for your wants. 
You want somebody to eradicate all your problems. You want perfect health. You want freedom from trials and tribulations. No worries, no anxiousness, no guilt. You want to be his counselor. And you want to see miracles. I'm sure each of you can come up with other things than I did, but that was just a short list that I came up with. And I've thought so often how many times I want from God how seldom I say, what do you want? God's not going to worship you. You need to worship him. You need to think he's in control of my life. Well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I got news for you. You will answer. At some point, you will answer. Whether you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you don't. It's simple. There's no fence riding, folks. And you either spend eternity in eternal communion with God or you spend it away from Him. It's simple. If you don't think Jesus Christ is coming back a second time and the things that He'll do, I urge you to read the rest of Isaiah 61. Well, you want to know what the third question I had was by now. I can see it in Wayne's eyes. He can hardly wait. <laughs> what do we expect from Jesus? What do we expect from him? Had a little trouble with this one. And a lot of it sounds a lot like, what do we want? We want prayers answered our way. That's what we expect to have. When you pray, are you praying? Our Father, your will. But let me tell you how your will should be. Yeah. We want God to judge people the way we see it. We don't see the big picture. We see what's important to us. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it would be like without having Christ forgive me for all the things that I have done. And yet, we want him to judge other people as we see it should be done. Uh, we want immediate responses. God, I don't have time to wait. What's the matter with you? I need an answer now. Sometimes, God makes us wait. So it's better. So we grow. So we draw closer to him. 
not so you can have a magic genie. We want to see miracles. Open your eyes. Look at a sunrise. Look at a sunset if you don't like getting up in the morning. Look around you. How many people are so blessed and they have everything just, it looks like, going their way. God's active in their life. God's active in my life, and believe me, that's a miracle. And I'm thankful for it every day. We want him to eradicate all our problems. That's what we expect. Well, I believe. I won't have any problems. How are other people going to see Jesus Christ in your life and how you respond if you don't have problems? I don't have time to get into all the things that I've had occur to me in my lifetime. But never once since I was five years old have I questioned whether Jesus Christ was here in my life and alive and well. We all want to feel his presence. We expect to. We expect that, well, he's just going to be there all the time. On the front door of our house, I have a... a little sign that's hanging on the doorknob. And it says, if God seems far away, guess who moved? Do you want to feel his presence? Draw close to him. I pray that each one of you draws closer all throughout this year and the rest of your lives. Do you want to feel loved? Open your heart. Open your heart. You expect eternal life. You want eternal God communion with God. You expect eternity in heaven. You expect to have hope, and you expect to be close to him. How are you going to do that? by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and developing a relationship with him. Well, I can't do that because I can't sit right beside him and talk to him. Read his word. Study it. Let it become a part of your life. Let what comes out of your mouth, what's in your heart. Too often we want to find fault with everything. Ladies and gentlemen, God created it all. And all will be for his glory. have another paper I'm going to read to you. I can scratch that one out, can't I, Brother Hank? It's entitled, An Interview with God. 
I ask, what's the one thing that surprises you most about mankind? He answered, they get, that they get bored of being children, are in a rush to grow up, and long, then long to be children again. That they lose their health to make money, and then lose their money to restore their health. That by thinking anxiously about the future, they forget the present, such that they live neither for the present nor the future. That they live as if they will never die, and they die as if they had never lived. His hands took mine, and we were silent. After a long period, I said, may I ask you another question? He replied with a smile, as a father, what would you ask your children to do for the new year? To learn that what is most valuable is not what they have in their lives, but who they have in their lives. To learn that a rich person is not one who has the most, but is one who needs the least. To learn that they should control their attitudes, otherwise their attitudes will control them. To learn that it only takes a few seconds to open profound wounds in persons we love. And that it takes many years to heal them. To learn to forgive by practicing forgiveness. To learn that there are persons that love them dearly, but simply do not know how to show their feelings. To learn that money can buy everything but happiness. To, the, to learn that while at times they may be entitled to be upset, that does not give them the right to upset those around them. To learn that great dreams do not require great wings, but a landing gear to achieve. Think about that one. To learn that true friends are scarce, he or she who has found one has found a true treasure. To learn that it is not always enough that they be forgiven by others, but that they forgive themselves. Words to remember for some of you. To learn that they are masters of what they keep to themselves and slaves of what they say. To learn that they shall reap what they plant. If they plant gossip, they will harvest intrigues. If they plant love, they will harvest happiness. To learn that true happiness is not to achieve their goals, but to learn to be satisfied with what they already achieved. To learn that happiness is a decision. They decide to be happy with what they are and have or die from envy and jealousy of what they lack. To learn that two people can look at the same thing and see something totally different. That's probably happened to a few marriages. To learn that those who are honest with themselves without considering the consequences, go far in life. 
to learn that even though they may think they have nothing to give, when a friend cries with them, they find the strength to appease the pain. To learn that by trying to hold on to loved ones, they very quickly push them away. And by letting go of those they love, they will be side by side forever. To learn that even though the word love has different meanings, it loses value when it is overstated. To learn that they can never do something extraordinary for me to love them, I simply do. To learn that the shortest distance they could be from me is the distance of a prayer. I wonder how often we forget that shortest distance and we think it has to be in what we know or what somebody else thought or thinks or what their view is or how they would handle that situation. Go to God. He already knows. He already has a solution for you. Oh, that is one thing. It might not be your way. It might not be the answer you want. But I guarantee you it's for the best for you. Because he loves you. He loves you enough to send his son to live among us humans who are so pitiful. He loved us so much, he died on a cross for us so that you, you, each one of you could have eternal life with him, to be joined with him in heaven. But make no mistake, He's not going to beat your door down. He's not going to force you. You have to let him. And it's a day-in, day-out procedure. Every day of your life, you choose. Every decision you make, you choose. And Denise says it's time for me to get done. So I'm going to close with a poem. It's entitled Today. It's by Milton F. Chawner. Lord, help me take some time today to think or write or say how much your love can mean to me, how grateful just to be. Lord, help me to step up and do some special thing that you will put before me just to see what I can really be. Lord, keep me humble as I grow and help my faith to show to every friend I meet today how better is your way. Let's bow our heads with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we truly thank thee for the opportunity we've had to gather together to show love to one another. And Father, those who need your support and help and comfort, 
provide that for them. And Father, nudge the ones who need to provide that for them. And Father, let each one of us truly, truly reflect your love and your presence in our life. In Jesus' precious name, amen.